You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Kings chapter 3 tells a very interesting story, and I want to encourage you as we're looking at it, and as you think about uh, trying to have a relationship with the Lord and understand the world that you're living in and also understanding what God's trying to do in the world that you're living in, uh, the Bible is is the most interesting, it's the most powerful uh, work ever produced by any human beings uh, because the human beings weren't working on their own. The Bible says all the scriptures God breathed. And so while it's written in human languages and it's written by human beings, it has their personality, their culture, their um, ways and measurements, you know, his cultural background behind it, historical events. Uh, the Bible is God's tool to help us understand God. And God has given us the ability to calculate and observe. And um, we have very, very smart people who make amazing calculations and amazing observations, and they've revolutionized our lives. Uh, we're able to predict hurricanes. We don't just have them show up. Uh, we've launched satellites, and they they're orbit the earth, and they're they're predicting things for us. They're making measurements from space. As they look back at the earth, they can tell you the water content in the clouds so that you know as the, the low pressure is forming and they know where it's at by latitude and they can see it picking up moisture. And so we'll get days and days in advance warning of an event that might happen here in California. We haven't done that with earthquakes yet. Now we can measure them. We know when they happen. We can tell where they happen. We haven't got great at predicting them. Can we predict them at all? But maybe we have some really smart people. Maybe some really smart people are at junior high camp. They'll be the ones that figure it out. Um, we, we, we've been given God by God this ability to calculate things and figure things out, and it's changed our lives. We've, we've uh, you know, done so many amazing things to make our lives so comfortable. We're sitting here in a building with artificial light, with climate control, uh, the ability for these units to determine what the temperature is in the room. And then we can preset that when it hits a certain temperature, it's going to make it colder or hotter. Uh, it's pre-programmed. That's being calculated and handled by a computer. We don't have someone from the church like, hey, we have a volunteer position. You know, turn the air conditioner off. Turn it on. Turn the heater on. Turn it off. It's all happening automatically. So human beings can can calculate and they do all these things, but but there's a limit to what we can figure out. And we're limited to the things that we can see and observe from our perspective. And while we may be able to do amazing things within those limitations, we are incredibly limited. There's an entire uh, life that exists that's outside of what can be measured by our devices or by any device we would ever invent. The Bible says God is spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and truth. What in the world does that mean? Where's the spiritometer where you 
turn it on like a Geiger counter can register the unseen radioactive energy from something. You and I wouldn't be able to see it, but we've invented a device that would let you know this thing's emitting radiation. The radiation's going to mess you up. And it goes faster, and you'd be able to say, oh, this is dangerous, but I can't see it. But we've understood that. We have electricity and magnetism that we understand, at least to some degree. We can measure those things. But, but what about the spirit? What about spirit? What about spiritual things? What about spiritual battle? We certainly feel it and experience it. You all probably, some of you have the scars of spiritual battle. Maybe some of you baby barely dragged yourself into the church today because of the week that you had. And you thought, man, I got to get to church simply to get sewn back together. Simply to get a transfusion. Simply to get... You know, just get this junk off of me. We understand there's a spiritual world, but what do we really know about it? How would we know about it? And what do we know about this person that the Bible calls God? Not the one that people invent that looks an awful lot like um, Harvey Weinstein. Looks an awful lot like, and I'm talking about Zeus. Zeus looks a lot like somebody who has all the power and he goes around raping people. Does that look... Like anything different than you see in our Oval Office, our highest corridors of power, whether it's business or... uh, I mean, the gods that are invented by human beings look like human beings that you've just... You just blew them up into a giant human being with supernatural abilities. The God of the Bible doesn't look like us. He doesn't act like us. He, He has attributes that our past are finding out. If he didn't choose to reveal himself to us, we wouldn't have any idea what the Bible means when it says patience, because we would think of our patience as though, well, here it is, this is what patience is, and I was being very patient. Have you ever heard someone say that to you? You know you're about to get slammed. Like, I've been very patient. Like, and I think you're about to not be, right? Like, our patience is like this little, it's like a thimble full of something some quality, and God, the Bible says God is patient. But when the Bible says God is patient, you don't mem- measure it by the thimbleful. We're talking about something that unless he acted the way he acts and we could have some revelation of that to us, we would never know what that meant. Um, kindness. What about the word mercy? What about the word grace? What about the word love? How do we define these things? These are all things that are, that are from the Spirit. They're from the spirit world. They're from this world that we know exists. We're supposed to be part of it, but we've sinned and separated ourselves from God and got far away from him and created a world and live in a world that's very corrupted and very broken. And God's given us his word, and it's a record of his dealings with people, and he intends for it to be a revelation. He intends to use his word to awaken us to what's really happening and make us perceive the world that we're living in with the right data and not with the very limited data that we would have naturally. God's ways are higher than our ways. They're so much higher that the Bible uses the conception of the heavens and the earth, like the expanse of space from our 3D frame of reference. We have an up and a down. We have a sideways And so God's ways are above ours. So we're using the depth perception. We're using the up dimension. How far up are they? Go to the end of the heavens. His ways are past that. (laughs) You're like, well, yeah, they're higher than ours. 
Well, what's your frame of reference? Well, whatever one it is, is they're deeper than ours. Well, they're deeper than if you went the other way in space and you got to the end. God's ways are past that. It's a truth we have to be reminded of that God's ways are not our ways and God's going to be reminding us of that through his word. It's important for us as the followers of Jesus to recognize these things, receive it from the Lord so we can understand the world that we're living in and our place in it. Because you and I are not functioning like everybody else who lives on the planet. The politicians have strategy sessions and they talk about what people are going to do. The business leaders have strategy sessions and they talk about what people are going to do. They make forecasts. They make projections. The accountants get together, the, the CFO and the, the big brains and they, they, hire, they hire think tanks and they get this information and they make projections and they figure things out. And you and I are walking with Jesus. <laughs> And all that the world can do is gather the data that can be gathered from the limited perspective. And now we're walking with Jesus. And how high is high and how deep is deep and how wide is sideways? How, what, what does God know and what does God not know? Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 are verses that many of you have memorized. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So they're just a heads up straight from the Lord. What I'm thinking is not what you're thinking. So this is where the light bulb can go on for us and say, okay, well, I'd like to change my thinking. I'd rather not change your thinking so you start thinking like me because I'm not always thinking super clearly. I've, I have made so many mistakes. I may make mistakes all day long. I make mistakes because I don't understand something. I make mistakes because I didn't understand what might happen. I didn't I made mistakes because I wasn't paying attention. I make mistakes, so many mistakes. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts, he says, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Because he doesn't think like we think, he's not acting like we act, says the Lord. Verse 9 of Isaiah 55. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. When God says something like this, he's inviting us. He's not just... He's not just this big cosmic bully in heaven saying, you're an idiot, and I'm awesome. Enjoy your time down there. <laughs> when God says, my ways are not your ways, they're past your finding out. It's an invitation. It's an invitation that, hey, would you like to think differently? I've watched you been living, and I'm calling out to you, and I'm inviting you to raise your perspective. I'm inviting you to think a different way. I'm inviting you into my ways and my thoughts. Should you care to listen? Should you... Be interested in hearing from me. I would reveal to you things that are beyond your finding out. This is very important for us. It's important for you because I pastor a very intelligent church full of thoughtful people. I know many of you for many, many years. You're, you're, you're very bright. You're very brilliant. Uh, because we're thoughtful people, we make calculations. We plan for the future. We think ahead. These calculations result in us making decisions about how we're going to handle ourselves, how we're going to act in a situation, and it's based upon previous experience. Some of you have been traumatized. You've had terrible things happen to you. You have wounds that are very deep. You find yourself in kind of destructive patterns of behavior and you're recognizing it and you're able to look in your life and say, well, man, 
I was wounded this way, and now it's sort of crippled me, and I'm struggling to get myself out of this rut that I'm stuck in because of the trauma that I've experienced, or the wounds that I had, or the hurt that I've had. And we realize the ways that we have are they're corrupted. I don't trust, so I'm not acting freely like I ought to. I'm not acting with an open heart because I've been impacted. We've had victories. We've had defeats. We've had many, many experiences. So we have experience. And we have a perspective. And, it's, and it serves you well. You've been wounded. You say, hey, fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on you. You guys are smart. You're not going to keep doing the same stupid thing that burns you most of the time. You're like me. You know, sometimes we keep doing stupid stuff. We end up with a perspective, but that perspective is very limited. It's very, very limited. And we're often very wrong. That's why the Bible says we need each other. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. What does that mean? It means your experiences bump into somebody else's experience. Your trauma bumps into someone else's trauma. Your perspective bumps into someone else's perspective. And you're like, well, this is what I thought, and this is the way I've always done it. This is the way I think it's right. And then you're married, and your wife says, well, this is the way I've always done it, and this is the way I think about it, and this way is right. And you say, well, we're going to be like-minded as soon as you change and realize my way is the better way. And we learn as people. You grow, and you learn, and you realize, well, well, explain to me why you think it's like that. I'm going to be open. You hear it, and you're like, well, okay. We can do it your way. That's about the same, probably, same result. And maybe your way is more efficient a little bit. But maybe on the other time you can listen to me. And we find compromises. We, we learn from each other. But we've been given the Bible. And the Bible is the fastest way and the best way to get yourself straightened out. The Bible reveals over and over again God and his ways as he interacts with the people that are living through the centuries recorded in the scriptures. He's amazing. And he wants us to grow in the knowledge of him and of his ways because he's not done in the world. God doesn't look at the world and say, I'm done with it. If he was done with the world, we wouldn't be having church this morning. We would have all been taken out of the world by Jesus. There's a great event coming that Paul calls the catching away of the church, or the Latin word is the rapture. There's going to be a catching away of the believers out of the world before the judgment of God is poured out upon the world that's described in the book of Revelation. So if we're still here, God still has a great thing that he's wanting to do. The thing is, we are not going to figure it out with our meters and with our apparatus that we could create because the thing that he's doing is going to come from that way of thinking that he has And he can think of things that you and I would never think of. But he will reveal them. And the Bible's filled with encouraging events that happen in people's lives to remind us of this. God's working at work even right now. Right now, he's working at work. Even today, he's working at work. But I'm reminded of what God told Habakkuk. Habakkuk was very frustrated about the wickedness of his day. He was frustrated about the, the prosperity that he saw happening for people that hated God. The people that hated God and didn't want to do what God said, it seemed like everything was going great. The people that were trying to follow God, everything was going bad. People didn't have a heart for God and his nation. 
He was very frustrated. He was telling God that God had a problem and that probably God was, should do something about it and that God was messed up. He's implying that God had, you know, somehow was failing. And God spoke to him in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. He, God said, Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. That's, that's a pretty serious rebuke. In effect, God's saying, I haven't told you what I'm doing because it'd be a waste of my energy because if I told you, you wouldn't even believe me. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. <laughs> Do you want to be that person? That God would look at you and say, I'd love to tell you, but if I told you, you wouldn't even believe me and you wouldn't even do anything about it. So I'm not telling you. I'm not going to waste my energy on you. That's pretty heavy what he tells him. Now, thankfully, he's telling him that. And so Habakkuk is humbled. It's only three chapter little letters, very short to read through. But then Habakkuk responds and Habakkuk says, uh, well, explain it to me then. And God gives him this warning. And, and then he says, OK, well, I'll be quiet then. I'll be quiet and I'll look for you. And God speaks to him. And then he says, I'm trusting you at the end of the, the letter. It's a short little book that he writes. But this statement of God, I'm going to do something in your days which you wouldn't believe. I wonder if that's true today. I wonder if God can find anybody on the planet that would say, I'll believe you. You could tell me. I'll do it. I'm all in. I'm working to work in your days which you wouldn't believe even if it was told you. So in 2 Kings chapter 3, I want to just look at a couple of lessons. I called the, the Bible study God's Ways Revealed. But really the, the real title should be Some of God's Ways Somewhat Revealed. All right? So... And for brevity, the title's God's Ways Revealed. But don't, don't think that we're revealing God's ways perfectly, all of them. This is going to be a very limited, uh, from my perspective. <laughs> but it's in the Word, so we're going to go to the Word, and we're going to let the Spirit of God take the Word of God and do what God does with His Word, which is stir up our faith and make us open. And if, you, if we would open our ears, Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, then hear what the Spirit will say that the Holy Spirit would give us ears, that we would be able to hear about the ways that if we were told them, we would never believe them. We're all living that out already. I'm the pastor of this church. I was raised as an atheist. I never went to church in my entire life. When I got saved, I wasn't looking for God. I had a friend who got saved. He started preaching the gospel to me. He wouldn't stop preaching the gospel to me. I rejected Jesus. He gave up on me. I mean, he didn't give up. He kept praying for me, but the Bible says don't keep casting your pearls before the pigs. So the pig, this pig didn't get any more pearls. <laughs> my buddy kept praying for me. Two years later, another guy got saved. I wasn't really seeking the Lord. I was living a crazy, evil life. Another friend got saved, started preaching the gospel to me. Well, actually, he was preaching the gospel to me before he was saved. He's an effective, unsaved evangelist. And he was sharing what he was, these guys were sharing the gospel with him. He was sharing everything with me. He was, he was seeking the Lord. He was very open. I was not open at all. How did I get saved? I don't really understand it. All I know is I heard the gospel from my friend, and that time it started making a lot more sense. I started being convicted in a way I'd never been convicted. I started seeing the end of my road as being a one-way ticket to eternal damnation. I knew that I was an eternal soul, and I knew... Well, if there really is a God, there's going to be a reckoning. And if there's a reckoning, I'm dead. If I have to give an account of the evil that I know has been evil and I did anyways, I'm, 
if there is a hell, I'm going to it. And if there's a way out of that, that would be great. I understood the gospel. I accepted Jesus Christ, but I didn't think I was going to be a pastor. Church was so weird to me. To come to a building with other people and dress up and then sing songs out loud without being drunk. It was just weird. The whole church thing was so weird. I never, I, even to this day, it's still a little bit weird for me. It's like, man, these people are still gathering. It's so weird. I used to surf every Sunday. That was my religion. I guess I surfed every Sunday. There's lessons to be learned from God's word about his ways. And I'm going to look at a couple of them this morning. Things that, that we would have to be able to look at and say, God's operating, and we need to recognize how he operates so we can be able to plug into it when we see it happening right in front of our face. And go, oh, this is that time. This is one of those things. This is one of those times when he's intervening. That throw out the laws of physics, throw out the laws of sociology, throw out the laws of psychology. They're still operating because we're still here. But oh my goodness, the ways that are not our ways are the Red Sea's parting. Let's just go through on dry land. The walls are going to fall down. We're just going to do what God said. Like there's, there are these times when in your life, and they happen for us as the followers of Jesus, that you don't have to have the walls fall down or the Red Sea part. It, can, it happens all day long. You need help in your marriage. You need help with your child. You need help at work. You need help when you're being patronized. You need help when you're about to patronize someone. This story is about a, a wicked king and a good king and how they join together and get themselves in a terrible uh, pickle, a terrible difficulty, and they're about to die. They've also joined with another pagan king. So two pagan kings and a good king, which raises one of our issues of what in the world is this good king doing with these two guys who don't seek God at all and joining with them to go in a battle to just really collect more money? It's a financial battle. They're going to war over money. Chapter one, or chapter 3, verse 1, it says that Jehoram, who is the son of Ahab, is, he's raised by Ahab and Jezebel, and he's in that court. Ahab has died. He's now become the king. Jehoshaphat is a good king. He's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, at this point, Israel has been split into two kingdoms. He's, verse 2, it says, He does evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as bad as his father and mother. He did put away one of the sacred pillars of Baal that his father had made. However, he continued to sin, verse 3, in, in the way that Jeroboam brought sin, he, and he didn't depart from those sins. The issue that happens is the king of Moab, verse 4, has been paying a tax to Israel of 100,000 lambs and uh, the wool of 100,000 rams. That's something that they have to, you know, they've made a, a, a treaty based on this payment. But when Ahab dies, verse 5, this king doesn't want to pay the money anymore. So this whole fight is about money. It's not about righteousness. It's not about Israel's rep, God's reputation or whatever is that this guy's not paying me money. So verse 6, Joram, he gathers all of Israel and he reaches out to Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat had gone into battle with his father and that turned out terrible for Jehoshaphat. Remember that story? That's where his dad Ahab said, let's go out to battle. He said, I'll go with you. And then Ahab says, now listen, I'm going to dress incognito. You dress like a king. Wear your robes. So he goes dressed like a king and of course the other, the other army thinks that he's 
Ahab, and they try to kill him. He screams, and the ah, you know, it's a funny story. God doesn't let him die. So here's this guy asking him, you want to go to battle with me? What would you say? Uh, no, I already did that once. That was not a great idea. It didn't work out so well. I screamed. I freaked out. It's actually going to be in the Bible. Uh, people thousands of years later on another side of the world will laugh at me. And they're going to wonder, why would you go do this again? But he's like us. Anybody in this room do something stupid and then do it again? <laughs> Repeatedly? And tell God, I promise I'll never do this again and then do it the same day? So this guy's one of us. So he says, I'll go. So they go. And they go out by the way of the wilderness of Edom. That's their strategy. And if you'll notice through verse 8, no one's asked God anything. No one's asked God, should we do this? No one said, God, how do you want to do this? No one's even said, God, do you want us to go fight these people over money? God might have an opinion about that. He might have an, and if, and if God's wanting to judge these people and God has a plan, maybe God would want to reveal that plan, but they didn't ask him at all. This is completely all on their own. They've instigated it. They've created it. And it's terrible. They go out seven days, verse nine. They're out in the middle of nowhere and they've gone past the point of no return. There's no water. They thought they would end up at some kind of water source. They get seven days, that which means it's seven days back, but they didn't get any water. That would be 14 days without getting a replenishing station. So they're at the point where, uh-oh, we're dead. So watch what happens. Look at verse 10. The king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Whose fault is it that they're out there about to die? God. He brought us out here to kill us. I don't really remember him sending you. I'm not sure. No, we did this. We calculated. We thought about this. This was our plan. We want to try to get this money back. And uh, we all joined together. We all thought it was a great idea. It went terrible. God's trying to kill us. That's not really very, uh, that's not really a great way of thinking. Imagine if you had a teenager, if you're a parent of teenagers, imagine you have a teenager who acted like this. It's your fault that I've done this. I actually think that was your decision. You didn't call me and ask me ahead of time if I thought it was a great idea if you did that. So it's God's fault. But look at verse 11, Jehoshaphat, the good king. He says, Is, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? This would be where we'd have to call, um, you know, this is some kind of delay a game. This should have happened earlier. This is a penalty, I think. This would be the one where he says, do you want... Do you, will you join me in this battle? That's when you go, is there a prophet of the Lord we may inquire? You do this at the beginning, but he's doing something. I don't know if you know anybody who's like this. He's not seeking God, and he gets into a big world of hurt, and now all of a sudden he's seeking God. You know anybody like that? Some of you are honest. I heard you laugh. This is all of us. How often we realize, oh man, I was never even thinking about the Lord and what a dummy I am. But let's seek the Lord now, which is great. He's not corrected for that. Is there a prophet of the Lord here? And so they seek the, they say, yeah, Eli, Elisha's here and they seek Elisha and, and he's got a plan for how they're going to be delivered. Before we get into the plan, here's a, here's a truth that's revealed about God's ways in this part of the story. God is very forgiving. He is very forgiving. As I read the story, it's not hard for me to find the humor in the story and point out at each point where we would kick these people off of our team and say, oh, really? That's what you want to do? Well, why don't you just go down there and starve for a while? 
right? Like, we're not very forgiving. When someone has repeatedly done something to us, we're not really interested in forgiving them. We're interested in, like Peter says, should I forgive him even seven times? It's like, seven times? And you know why Peter said seven? Because the rabbis had gotten up to three. This person does something to me, and I forgive him. They do it again, and I forgive him. They do it again, and I forgive him. The rabbi says, you've exa- you're done at that point. After you've done it three times, kick that person to the curb. So when Peter says seven times, we have to give him credit because he's, he's more than doubling what the rabbi said. He's been with Jesus. Lord, should I forgive my brother up to seven times? What did Jesus say? What was his amazing answer? Seventy times seven, which means you're going to lose count. <laughs> How many times do you forgive him? Every single time. Just keep forgiving him. You have to say, well, excuse me, have you ever been on the earth, Jesus? I mean, I know you're God. Do you know what it's like down here? If I forgive somebody every single time they want to be forgiven, what kind of forgiveness is that? It's an otherworldly forgiveness. It's not natural. It's not predictable. Have you ever had somebody forgive you? Have you ever received this grace from someone? When they forgave you and there's no reason they should have, and you knew it because they never brought it up again. It's amazing. There's nothing like it. Their, their foolishness of this group that's dying of thirst in the wilderness, they completely brought this on themselves. God will forgive people who completely brought their problems on themselves entirely. It's 100% their fault. And God's ready to forgive them. God's ready to deliver them. They say, well, is there a problem? Yeah, seek the Lord for us. God's, all right, I got a plan for you. I'll deliver you. In fact, I'll deliver your enemy. They they have nothing that they've done to deserve this. They didn't like the loss of the financial benefits, so they decided to make war. Someone who's done something that stupid or foolish, and now they're about to lose everything? God said, if you reach out to me, I'll forgive you. They didn't seek him. They didn't ask his will. They didn't ask his direction. They joined together in an unholy alliance for financial gain. The king of Israel is an idol worshiper. He's not a worshiper of Jehovah. He didn't do exactly what his father had done, but he is not repentant of idol worship. He is not a follower of God. He rejected the leadership of God in his life, and he's not following God. And God has someone there telling him, I'm ready to help you. God is so forgiving. Jehoshaphat, in his role in the story, he's back doing the same dumb thing that he did before that got him in trouble. God's ready to forgive that person. These guys are completely backslidden and foolish. And because they're backslidden and foolish, they're totally jacked up. Maybe that's you. You came to church. You've been foolish and backslidden. And you probably thought, and maybe you're not at church. I'm talking to the person who didn't come today. They're foolish and jacked up. They thought, well, I can't even go. Why? God probably won't forgive me. Seven times seven. That's 490. I'm at 497. I'm seven past. Did Jesus mean there's a limit when he said 70 times seven? Or did he mean God forgives? God forgives, and so you forgive like God forgives. God's ways are not our ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, his ways are beyond ours. God is going to deliver them. It reminds me of what Paul said in Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I would never have believed there was such a thing as forgiveness if I had not become a follower of Jesus and someone gave me a Bible and I started reading it. I would have never, ever dreamed that there would be a grace like you find in the scripture. I would never have thought of it. It's amazing to me. 
I've sung about it for almost 40 years. I've been walking with Jesus for almost 40 years, and it's amazing to me still. <laughs> the limitless, the extent of it, the, the depth of it, the height of it, the love of God. This is something you can count on, and this is what the Scriptures will give to us, these ways that, you know, we could get a committee together, the Forgiveness Committee. And we'll assess people, and you can make your application to Calvary Chapel, and the Forgiveness Committee will receive it. How's it going to work out for you? <laughs> like, well, we've got some really gracious people here at the church. And don't worry, we've got the nicest ones and the most merciful ones. They're the Forgiveness Committee. So you probably got a good chance. I promise you, our Forgiveness Committee would never accept some people. <laughs> as, nice as, they, as nice as our free... We could get the best version of, our, the best version of us... God's willing to forgive people that you and I will go, you know what? Not this one. Not here. Not now. Not today. Not on my watch. Someone would get in that forgiveness committee and want to plant their flag and hold people accountable. I mean, it's just human nature. What about God's forgiveness committee? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever would put their trust in Jesus Christ, could be forgiven of all their sins. Whoever, anybody. Paul wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 to 17. Again, this is a famous verse. You guys probably have this memorized. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him to everlasting life. The, the example is the person that was a blasphemer and a persecutor who was trying to kill the Christians. He becomes the person who God uses to reach the Gentiles. <laughs> you think like, that's the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, well, who's going to reach the Jews then? Isn't This guy was the... the the Hebrew of the Hebrews. Yeah, we're going to send the fishermen to reach the Jewish people. The guy with no qualifications, he's going, to, he's going to be the apostle to the Jews. The guy that's qualified to be the apostle to the Jews, we're going to send him out there to the nut, nut cases, to the, by, the hedges, out, out to the bush, outside, you know, the people that are the idol-worshiping Gentiles. That's their apostle. Our apostle is the legalistic Pharisee. You think, only God would plan that one out. And, only God would think of that. Jesus is very patient. He's merciful. He's gracious. The pattern is a pattern of long-suffering. The pattern is those that trust in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. God is more patient than we could ever imagine. He's more merciful than we could ever imagine. He's always, re always ready to deliver. He's always ready to forgive. Here's a story of someone doing something, the righteous King Joshua doing something he knows he shouldn't do. He's doing it anyways. He's doing something that he already did that already got him in trouble. He's still doing it. And he finds help. God doesn't want to wipe him out. He wants to save him. If you're here and you're like that, I got to tell you something that the scriptures say. I have to declare what the scriptures say. God wants to help you. He doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't want to discipline you. He doesn't want to wipe you out. He wants to save you. And you say, but I've done this too many times. No, no, no. We'll stop doing it. But receive the grace of God. God wants to work. He loves you. This idol worshiper king, or the king of Edom even, who's completely pagan. These three kings who shouldn't be together, they get delivered by God. It's a, it's a great story. 
It's way more merciful and gracious than we are. The next point I want to make is another thing that's revealed in the story, and it's maybe a little more subtle, but I think it's very significant. When Jehoshaphat sort of comes to his senses in verse 11, Jehoshaphat had said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Now, what would be the logical answer to that? There is no prophet of the Lord out here. Who in their right mind that's a prophet of the Lord is going to go with the king of Edom and the wicked king of the north? They don't even have any prophets of the Lord in the north. Unless they're at odds, like Elisha, unless they're at odds with the king and they're living sort of underground or they're, you know, there's, a, there's a work that's going on, but it's anti the government. And, and Jehoshaphat has come without a prophet. Like, is there somebody? Do we have somebody? What would be the, the logical answer is, no, you're out here on your own, you morons. <laughs> you created this mess. You brought it on yourself. No, there's not a prophet of the Lord out here. What's the answer? You guys know, we read, I read part of it. Well, what happens? It says, is there a prophet of the Lord out here? And they said, one of the servants of the king of Israel said, well, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha is traveling with them. That's a crazy thing. Now, we don't know the backstory. Did God say, hey, these guys are going to go drive their car off a cliff? You know, bring your gear. <laughs> you know, bring the ropes. <laughs> let's, get them out. let's get them out of this pit. We don't know the backstory, but Elisha goes with them. They're going out to battle. Elisha goes with them. They didn't ask for his help, but he's there. And here's, here's the point I want to make. And it's subtle. Forgive me if it's too subtle. They have everything they need right where they are to get right with God. That's a, that's a powerful reality. That is a way of God. And this is something that's different than the way of the world. See, in the way of the world, when we get our analytics together, we make these calculations and then, and, and, and our frame of reference, usually we're not open enough to recognize what's really happening. We're usually pretty close-minded, and we think the real, the, reason, the real reason we're here is because we are missing this and this and this. We need to get this. We need, we need to raise money. We need to have this. We need more capital. We've got the wrong people. Get the right people on the bus. Get the right people in the right jobs. These are all the way we think, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you look at what Jesus did with his apostles, there's not the right people, and they're not in the right positions. Not for, unless, you're, unless you've got a totally different way of looking at things, Peter is not a good choice. James and John want to burn villages up, every man, woman, and child, because of racial division. Their solution when they're rejected by a group of people is, shall we kill them all? That is not, that is not the person you're looking for as an apostle. You don't want that person writing a book in the Bible. John grows up and writes a book in the Bible. He's the apostle of love. <laughs> the son of thunder? Yeah, who knew? Who knew that God, God would do that? They have everything they need in the story, right where they're at, in the mess that they're in, everything they need in the mess that they're in, that they need to get out of the mess is right there. They're not going to have to do anything to get it other than have an awakening. Because there's another part of this. Again, it's subtle. Forgive me. Verse 13. Uh, well, verse 13, Elisha, Elisha rebukes the, the king of, of Israel. He says, you know, what do I have to do with you? You go seek your own prophets. If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even be talking to you. But look at verse 15. He says, bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. 
He basically says, do we have a worship leader here? They go, actually, we do. He doesn't get much work. We're kind of backslidden. <laughs> what, what psalms are they singing, do you think? Because this guy worships Baal, the king of Edom. He's worshiping whatever gods they worship. Joshua had the, you know, do we have a prophet? Well, lo and behold, we have a prophet. Oh, my goodness. He's right here. Elisha's actually with us. Whoa. He says, you got any musician? I want to seek the Lord. Yeah, actually, we do. We got a guy. They got a worship leader and a, and a Bible teacher. <laughs> On their way out, doing what God didn't want them to do or whatever they've created. Everything that they needed to get right with God was right there with them. This is so, so important. Because the tendency for the followers of Jesus Christ is to say, we can't feed the multitude, we need more. We have five loaves and two fish, but what's that amongst the multitude? Moses, go, go deliver my people. I can't deliver your people. I got nothing. I'm 80 years old. I'm totally broken. What's in your hand? My walking stick. Okay, we'll use that, right? That's the lesson from the scripture repeatedly over and over again. What do you have? Whatever you have, right where you're at, when you come to your senses, whatever you have right where you're at, it's all that you need to do whatever is the next thing that you're supposed to do. To get out of it or to move forward through an open door, what you have right where you are is all that you need. Don't let the devil lie to you that there's three or four steps that have to take place before, or three or four provisions that have to take place before God can work. It's, that's not true. This is one of God's ways. This is not like our ways. And our ways, things are logically adjacent. You know, you make this, this is here and this is here. How do we end up with a personal computer? Well, you had to have certain things come together at a certain time. If you didn't have the ability to do this on an engineering scale, to do, you know, if, if they had this they, and they didn't have this, they couldn't have done it. Everything had to happen, but not with the Lord. With the Lord, when you come to your senses, if this morning you came to your senses and said, Lord, I'm listening to your ways, and I, I think your Spirit's speaking to me. You're wanting to do something in my life that I never thought of. I just want to tell you everything you need for whatever God's about to tell you. You already have it. You don't have to say, well, well, after I get my Master's of Divinity, and I go back to college and get my BA, and i got to get my Master's, then I'll be able to do this, and probably, no. Now, if God tells you to do that, go do that. But you're where you are. You have everything you need to do whatever God wants to do. Are you surprised that Elijah's there? I am. And then I remember I'm reading the Bible. So then I quickly say, well, I, actually, I'm not surprised. Actually, if I was reading another book written by a human being, I'd be surprised. Actually, I'm reading God's book where he's revealing his ways. And I think, yeah, figures. Oh, guess what? There's a worship leader there too. Oh, that's pretty awesome. What else is going to happen? Well, probably some supernatural direction and probably supernatural provision. Probably a miracle is going to take place. Why do I think that? Because this stinking book says it over and over again. The human beings act like human beings. Then they come to their senses. They cry out to God and then God works. Crazy works. It happens over and over again. No, no human being would come up with this. And sadly, we wouldn't come up with this without keeping to this book. God has sent Elisha to travel with this unholy, backslidden, and disobedient group to their death. <laughs> I want you to go with these guys. He goes. I don't know how the Lord sent him, but God puts people everywhere. 
Maybe God sent someone to you. Maybe you were in a situation like this and you can relate to this, but you're relating to it and you're thinking, gosh, I was in a situation and God had that right person there at the right time for me. Maybe you're going to be that person this week for somebody. This is how the Lord works. This is one of his ways. We don't really always know that it's happening, but it's happening. He's doing it. We always have everything that we need. Don't say if only. This is a ripoff from the enemy. When you find yourself phrasing that sentence in your brain and it's an if only, well, if only, stop yourself and say, wait a minute. If only God is God. Okay, well, then that's that's the great equalizer. Well, who knows what he might do? What do do you want to do right now, Lord, with whatever we have? Take Moses with his stick, an 80-year-old dude with a walking stick, and go and bring the most powerful nation in the world at the time to its knees. Cripple it economically. Wipe it out without any weapons. Just the old dude with a stick. God could do it. And this is, this is one of the, the realities, and it's true if you're far away from God this morning. It can take you a million steps to get far away from God, and it only takes one step to get back to God. There's some weird elasticity in the spirit world where you're walking away, ignoring God, and he's warning you, and he, finally he just says, I'm not going to warn you, and you just keep taking all these steps, and you've walked a million steps. And in the world that we live in, a million steps to get away. It takes a million steps to get back. But in the spirit world, in God's kingdom, you can go away and it's 10 years. It's all these steps. And then you come to your senses and you go, oh Lord, we got to come back. One step. It's not our ways. You can't plot it on the, on the two-dimensional Cartesian coordinates. You, you can't plot it in three dimensions. You can't plot it in four. It's some, it's some kind of God's ways. It's not like our ways. The last one I wanted to get to was um, what happens as a result. Elisha, the Spirit comes upon him in verse 16. He says, thus says the Lord. Here's, here's the answer from God. Make this valley full of ditches, which is about the worst thing you could hear if you're about to die of dehydration and you're in the desert is we're going to dig holes. You mean graves. Because we're seven days in. We don't have any water. There's an enemy that we're almost on their doorstep. And you want us. I mean, an idiom for hard manual labor is ditch digger. Today. You could say that to your teenage son. You're like, well, I don't need to do math. Do you want to be a... Ditch digger. Whoa, not that. I'll do my math. And if you're a ditch digger and you're here, we're not disrespecting you. We're sad for you. It's hard. Like that's hard labor. If you're a ditch digger and you're digging all day long and you're handling a shovel, that is hard work. That's about as manual labor as manual labor could be. What do you do? I dig holes and I bury them by hand. Like, oh, wow, that's hard work, right? You don't have a backhoe? No. My company, we believe in the old ways. Oh, who works there? No one. I mean, <laughs> like, that's a crazy, I mean, ditch digger. This is God's solution. Now, it's a familiar story. You guys have read it. God says this to them, verse 17, you are not going to see wind and you won't see rain. You're not going to see the storm system come. You're not going to feel the wind. You're not going to see the rain. But 
the valley is going to be filled with water. And you and your cattle and your animals will drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. This isn't hard. It's impossible with men, but it's not, it's not even hard for God. We can't even think our way out of this. We couldn't even do anything to get ourselves out of it. And it's not even a hard thing for God. They're not digging graves. They're not digging ditches. They're, dig- they're digging, apparently, reservoirs. Dig a reservoir. Every, every man, get a shovel and dig a reservoir. Rain's coming. You're not going to see the rain. You're not going to see the wind. But I guarantee you, water's going to fill this valley, fill all these, all these ditches that you guys dig. Here's the principle. God's plans only make sense if you know what God knows. God's plans only make sense if you know what God knows. Now, I'm, a, I'm not saying that the miraculous didn't happen. But what I am saying is sometimes the reason we think things are impossible is because we are very, very limited in our perception and in the data that we have. Perhaps, and I'm not, we don't know exactly how this happened, but the, the place where they are geographically, it's a desert, and there's a mountain range that's a ways away, and there's a runoff, and if there are storms in that mountain, you would never see the rain, and you would never see the wind, and the water would flow through that desert, and it would come right into that valley, and it would channel right into those ditches. The problem is they don't have a smartphone. And they're not being able to walk along and go, well, some really smart people have put satellites into the air and I click on my weather app. I'm silenced, so I won't disturb the sermon. Weather's unavailable. See, there's, maybe they, had, they, didn't have, they didn't have connection. There's satellites now. And they could have said, wait a minute, let's just dig these ditches because we've got the data. And there's about to be a storm. And it's going to hit in the mountain. And it's going to rain up there. And when it rains up there and it's going to dump and it's going to do one of those things when it dumps up there and that water is just going to flow. I mean, I remember, I, I mean, I, my grandparents had a house on the Mojave Desert. I remember one time driving. Uh, uh, we had always drive to these places, do not cross if there's water. And I remember thinking, water? Like, are you where? I remember being a little kid, like mocking whoever put the sign up. And like, really? Until the time we were driving through the desert, and we came to the part of the road, it was, there was a river in the road. This is like probably 1969, so it was sketchier. We, I think we were in a Vega, like about to die probably if we went across. We didn't go, try to go across. But I remember looking at that thing going, well, apparently there's rivers out here. And I'm like, where's the rain? I remember asking my dad, where's the rain? He pointed up to the mountains. I couldn't see any clouds. He goes, it's raining up there. I go, I don't see any clouds. And he goes, well, you see the river. That's where it's come from. It's raining up there. But I couldn't see the wind or the rain. But the water was flowing. Now, I'm not saying God didn't make a storm. that came. They never saw the wind and the rain. It wasn't like the water bubbled up and filled their things. The valley became full of water. God knew something they didn't know. That's a miracle also. God knew what they didn't know. Now, God may have sent a rain, but he did it in such a way as to... We use the phrase, blow their minds, to make them in awe, to make them realize, you don't know what's happening. This book will teach you something. One of the things it's going to teach you, if you're open to receive it, you don't know what's happening. And the best thing you can do is get off the throne of your life and let the person who knows what's happening be in control of the decisions. You sang some songs. Chris chose well this morning the songs. You were singing about 
how you wanted God to be in control of the decision-making. That is very smart <laughs> because perhaps his weather app is working. And when he says, dig, dig, how are we going to dig ditches? What's going to happen? We're going to dig a ditch and probably die. Where's the water going to come from? Well, if you knew something other than your little pea brain could figure out, perhaps God knows something you don't know and God's about to deliver you. All you have to do is obey. All you have to do is seek God and then do whatever he says. And then a fisherman could become an apostle. Then a blasphemer could become an apostle. Then a tax collector could become an apostle. Then an 80-year-old broken down dude who give up on life could become the deliverer, the lawgiver. God has something in mind that they don't know. God's plans don't always make sense to us. And I just want to encourage you, don't let that bother you. Get over that. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you from the Word. And He's saying, be forgiving, be merciful. And you think, no, this person needs accountability. And the Spirit's prompting you, be forgiving. Or you're saying, I don't want the problem. The Holy Spirit's saying, speak the truth in love. And you're like, I'm not speaking the truth in love to that person. I'm going to avoid that person. I don't want them in my life. No, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I've called you friends. And you're, all these Bible words, and you speak the truth in love. I'm not. No, you have to. You can't predict what's going to happen because you don't know what's happening. Like we're super limited. And I'm talking to a really group, a smart group of people. I know you guys for a long time because they're super smart. You're just not that smart. Actually, you're not smart at all, actually. In, in a certain way, in a certain framework. Like if it comes to stuff that you don't know, then you're ignorant. <laughs> you're super smart in the stuff that you know, but you don't know very much. Maybe you know a little bit about some things, but you don't know that it's about to rain in the mountains. You don't know that God's going to miraculously make a storm. You don't know that the walls of Jericho will fall down because God makes them fall down. All you got to do is do what he says. This is such a powerful reality that leads us to one of the great truths of all for following Jesus. Seek him every day. Seek Jesus every day and hear his word every day. Don't wait till you come to church on Sunday. Seek him every day. Hear his word. Gain his wisdom. Gain his direction. Say, I need your perspective on this. I'm walking into this day and this, the world I live in has gone insane. I need help. I need strength. I need power. I need things I don't have. I don't know if it's raining there. I don't know what. How, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do about this. I have some ideas, and I'm pretty sure they're probably wrong. So I'm coming from such a limited perspective. God will speak to you, and he'll lead you, and he'll guide you. So listen to him, and then do what he says. It's very simple. You see, there, there's a lot of things happening at once, and no one could calculate them all except God. Even in this room, we're not a very large church. This room only holds, I think it's like 480 seats in here right now, or 470, something like that. You look around, there's 200 people here maybe, I don't know, 150 people, 100 people. I don't know how many of you guys, I don't ever count you guys. I don't know how many people are here, but it's a bunch of people I like who are here. God could, no human being could calculate the needs of just you guys. What, you're, what you've went through this week, what you're about to go through next week, the people that you love, what they're going through, what you need. And you guys are going to interact with each other after the service and minister to one another and encourage one another. 
And what you went through, it's going to be connected to what that person went through. What you read yesterday, you're going to meet a friend and talk to him. And he'd say, how are you doing? You're like, man, I was thinking about you this week. Oh, really? I was going through this. Well, hey, you know what? That makes me think of this. And all these strange, weird things that nobody could ever calculate, all are calculated by God. And he leads us. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It happens in your family. It can happen in your church congregation. I remember, and you know this from your math, they start you off to not overwhelm you with algebra with only two dimensions. You learn the Cartesian coordinates. It's a little X, right? It's a cross. It's an up and down axis and a cross axis. And they only let you have two variables. Do you ever deal with anything in life that's only two variables? How about in your own head about what you're going to eat for lunch? How about whether or not it was a good idea to invite that person to your Super Bowl party? How many variables are with that? Well, it depends upon how their day went before they get here. Oh, I mean, two, you start with two variables, then you get a third axis, the Z. Oh, boy. Now you can graph some 3D thing. And now you've got three variables. But then you're going to need to solve these problems because you've got to solve them over time. So that's a fourth dimension. That's a fourth variable because something's moving according to time within these three dimensions of up and down and front and back. Now you've got the three plus time. Well, how are you going to graph what's happening spiritually? What does God want to do? What if God wants to intervene? What if God decides, you know what? I'm thinking about suspending gravity for a minute. What about someone prayed and said, sun, stand still. And God said, you know what? I'm feeling like, like uh, hearing that prayer today. I might just doof, stop the universe. These people for their wedding, oh, they've run out of wine. This poor couple, the poor parents. Oh my goodness, how embarrassing. Well, servants, why don't you fill the water pots with water? What good is that going to do? Jesus, we need wine. You've told us to fill them with water. You know, I'm about to do something that doesn't normally happen. I'm going to re rearrange the molecules. I'm going to bring some elements that aren't there and make them there because I wish it to be so. You, you and I cannot predict that happening because it is only thought of by the person who's outside the system interacting with within the system. There's no way to calculus or predict it or plan for it except this, to know that it's possible and that it might happen any minute and live like that and live in fellowship. We've been called to have a personal relationship with this person and to walk with them and to hear from them and that he's promised to speak to us. And if we walk with him, he'll tell us. It's very simple. No one could plan what God plans. No one could organize what God organizes. So why not listen to him and stop stressing out? Stop trying to control everything. Why not say, Lord, why don't you be in control? I've been in control, and I usually make it worse. So why don't you be in control, and you just tell me what you want to do, and I'll just walk along like a happy dummy. <laughs> and someone could say, well, I just can't trust God like you can. And like, well, you could if you had the data that I had, and you let your brain work. Because if you, if you really thought about this, the most logical thing in the world for you would be to realize you don't have all the data. And not having all the data, and you've been invited by the person who does have all the data and has all the love, and he's invited you to partner with him, and he's, he wants to be in your life, 
So much so that he makes promises, for example, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Who, who could make that promise? I can't make that to my children or to my grandchildren. I love you and I, w- I will make all things work together for good. I, w- I could never say that to my kids. I never said that to my kids. I'll be there with you. I'll be there for you as best I can till I'm dead. Then I won't be there for you. I mean, I'm very, I mean, you're going to face things. God says, I'll work everything together for good. That's a pretty powerful statement. This truth of God's plans only make sense <laughs> if you see it from God's perspective, if you know what God knows. This, this, this is what enables the fishermen and tax collectors to change the world. I'll end with this statement. God's looking for people who will take him seriously. Do you take him seriously? Do you? We're at church, so it's easy to answer. But answer it. Answer it all through your day. Just say, God, I take you seriously. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, say, God, I take you seriously. Because if you don't take God seriously, guess what the Bible says? He doesn't take you too seriously. (laughs) That doesn't mean he won't send the prophet along with you when you're going out to the desert to to ruin your life. (laughs) He'll be there. You come to your senses. If you come to your senses, he's there. He's ready. But there's a verse that says, many believed in Jesus, but he didn't believe in them (laughs) because he knew what was in man. So take God seriously. Take God seriously and, uh, and let's see what he'll do. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your desire to reveal yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, that your word is filled with um, example after example of, of amazing realities that we would never have discovered. It's not like we could dig in the ground and find a, a vein of gold. We would not be able to dig into the earth and find any of these treasures buried there. We, we only find them, God, because you've chosen to reveal yourself. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to reveal the Father perfectly. We thank you for your life, your inscrutable, amazing, wonderful life that stands forever, the life of Jesus of Nazareth that was given in sacrifice. And, Lord, that you rose from the dead. We worship you, Jesus, as the only king. But, Lord, how we long to know you and make you known. We long to be people that would be rising above. Lord, as we go through these events and, and the story of these kings' lives, and we see um, these continual reminders uh, to believe in God, to trust God, to, to listen to God, help us be a people that takes you seriously, and we take your word seriously, and that we would be walking in that simple faith, in that simple relationship with Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Rich Chafin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Rich's teaching ministry by visiting cclc.org.